Indianapolis Colts football is on the air. Welcome to NRG Stadium in Houston. The site of week two between the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. Richardson going to take off on a quarterback draw. He's at the 10. He's at the 5. Untouched into the end zone. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Stroud to pass. Here comes the blitz by the Colts, and they get home inside the 15-yard line. The ball came out. Not sure if it's a fumble or not. Quiddy Pay physically has the ball in hand. He's going to be part of that sack. It's a fumble recovery for Indianapolis. The call on the field was overturned, so the Colts have a fumble recovery, and they take over at the Houston 15-yard line. And running right side is Anthony Richardson. Fake the reverse. Turns the corner. He's in. Touchdown. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. And chew out of the gun. Ball in the right hash. Three receivers stacked left side. They're going to run it again with Moss. Cuts it out. He's at the five, and he stretches the ball across the goal line. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. It's the third rushing touchdown of the first half for the Colts. Stroud in the pocket, rolling left. Breaks contained, and the Colts nab him down. And this time, it's DeForest Buckner. The Colts have six sacks in the game, and they close it out with a great defensive play. Final score on the Ruoff Mortgage scoreboard. It's the Colts 31 and the Texans 20. That's how it sounded yesterday. Matt Taylor on the Colts radio network. Eddie Garrison, company CEO, putting together those audio highlights, and he is back from Colorado. And, of course, Jimmy Cook, the president of the company here on Query Company. My name is Jake Query. Good afternoon to you on a Monday, a good-looking Monday, and it's always a little sunnier, of course, when the local team wins, which is what happened yesterday. Colts down in Houston getting the win over the Texans. Jimmy, uh, that was a game that obviously had a storyline in it that will continue throughout the course of the week and the in, the injuries of Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly as well, but notably Anthony Richardson will get into that. Um, but all around, and look, let, let's just be upfront about this from the get-go. Uh, Houston is like almost historically bad, it would seem. I mean, long season, I realize, but not a lot of pop to the Houston Texans. But nonetheless, the Colts went down and did what they had to do and I thought looked pretty good in doing it. It was, for the most part, a complete high-class showing of what to do as a ball club when you're facing inferior competition. That's one thing that we've pointed to a couple times this offseason was, well, why is the Colts' win total where it is? Well, it's in part because there's some bad teams that are going to play on the schedule. And even though the Colts, we still don't know, are they a good team? Are they a true rebuilding team? Are they a bad team? Like That's still up for debate, depending on what you want to take away from the contest yesterday against Houston. But they took care of business, and they did it where they faced some real adversity. Anthony Richardson goes down with a concussion. As more details have come out from that, I'm less concerned today than I was as it happened yesterday because it appears it is forward-thinking, self-reporting. At least that's from a couple different stories from Stephen Holder, from James Boyd, is that Anthony Richardson realized in the second quarter that perhaps things weren't fully right with him after he had bumped his head off that second quarter touchdown. So I like that aspect of it, I suppose. That's realizing even as a young player in this league, just barely 21 years old, where you might think that you're a world beater and nothing can impact you. That's a very much a tough decision, but a mature decision that was made by him. And the Colts didn't skip a beat. Gardner Minshew comes out. That's part of the reason why you want to have a stable backup. The offense didn't feel like it had lost anything. And then the other key that we mentioned on Friday was make life difficult for C.J. Stroud. This Texans offensive line is not great. 
make your presence felt. And the Colts did that for four quarters. And that's why they're one and one today. And that's why the most brazen of Colts fans could be trying to talk themselves into, well, look at the division standings. We're right there right now. Maybe maybe we are going to win the South after all. That is the overreaction beauty of Monday. But that is could be a vibe of some of the Colts fan base when you look at the standings and how the Colts played on Sunday. The Let me tell you the one thing, and there were a lot of really good things that happened yesterday. Zach Moss showed some signs of life in carrying the football. That was that was needed and that was necessary. Um, you know, he runs hard. There's no question about that. Alec Pierce had an appearance, which is good to see, right? Um, and again, yeah, a, a young player, so people that were ready to write him off after, you know, a, a season even the last year I thought he he showed some signs but receiver just seems to take a while to get going um Josh Downs continues to show that he's a guy that's going to be a reliable over the middle target that can let the quarterbacks get into rep and of course Anthony Richardson it goes without saying the way he played he was dynamic I mean when he was out there he was dynamic now we will get more into over the course of the show the concern about the concussion and I do think that there is some concern regardless of how slight it might be the fact that now in two games he's been dinged twice we know again as I talk about we know precedent right but let me tell you the one silver lining of his injury and this is there is nothing positive about an injury especially to one's neurologically speaking even the most minor of concussion symptoms because concussions are kind of like water in a glass you might only be putting just a couple of droplets in but eventually that glass is going to overspill right the meniscus is going to break eventually if enough drops get put in there so you have to be very careful with that and i understand and respect that but let me make this point with this preface I really like Gardner Minshew. I thought the most telling point of yesterday's game, the the pinnacle moment of yesterday's game that defined what situation presented itself for the Colts if Anthony Richardson were to get hurt, was after Anthony Richardson's, I believe it was second touchdown, there was what seemed to be a very innocent, a very nondescript, a very quick, a very not thought out, a very inconsequential pan of the sidelines. But it was Gardner Minshew, Anthony Richardson, and Sam Ellinger all sitting there together, and they were laughing and looked like three kids enjoying lunch in elementary school. And it was three guys that looked completely on the same page, and two backups in Gardner Minshew and Sam Ellinger that looked thrilled and enjoying the moment of Anthony Richardson again showing why Anthony Richardson was a top-five pick. And that is, I think, rare, Jimmy, in the NFL where you get that kind of camaraderie. And that, to me, showed the health of the trajectory and the situation as it stands right now of the franchise, even with a star player in Jonathan Taylor and all the drama that's going on with him. The quarterback room, you felt really good about it because you're like, here are three guys that seemingly all are on the same page, which is that this year is about Anthony Richardson, and they all know it. And I love Gardner Minshew for that. I love any guy that has had 
multiple, you know, starts in the NFL that has been a guy that teams were looking at to see if they could build around, a guy that's won games, a guy that's played in and been a part of big time games. I don't think anybody mistakes him for, you know, the next Aaron Rodgers. I don't think anybody mistakes him for an everyday like Super Bowl contending quarterback, but what we saw yesterday is he is a guy that you can plug in and he plays well. He's got a good arm, he's a smart quarterback, and he buys in. He is clearly a very good teammate, and I love every bit of that. One of the benefits, oddly enough, in all of that, again, those three guys were on the sidelines laughing and having fun, and they all three know the same thing, which is that this year is about the development of Anthony Richardson. And it's great that Gardner Minshew came in and won that game for them. And if Gardner Minshew's got to play for them for a month, I don't think that's going to be the case, but let's just say hypothetically, if he plays in a month for you, eh, you might get another win or two out of those games. But this season is not about trying to get into the wild card. You watched Miami last night, and they're blazing speed. You know, you see Buffalo bounce back and, and get up the schneid. You see Kansas City winning in Jacksonville. The Jags obviously, you know, are are going to be good. The AFC is loaded right now. There's a traffic jam in the left lane of the AFC, and the Colts know it. So this year's about the development of Anthony Richardson and not about wins and losses. If Anthony Richardson is not able to go, Gardner Minshew does two things yesterday. Number one, he wins you the game, which is great. He plays well, which is better. But in addition to that, Jimmy, and hear me out because I know that people are going to think I'm crazy. And I love him. I, I, I love everything Gardner Minshew represents. But Gardner Minshew winning you games if Anthony Richardson's not out there probably sells a few tickets here and there, but it doesn't help your long-term vision necessarily. Then I watched the New York Jets. Zach Wilson yet to basically take control of the reins and say, you know what, I'm getting a second lease on life in the NFL. I was a top two pick in the draft. Aaron Rodgers is out. This is a team that New York fans felt like was built to contend right now. And Aaron Rodgers was the the last piece. And they feel like they might have a roster that is simply competent quarterback play away from being ultra competitive, even in a division with Buffalo and Miami, because their roster is really good. Gardner Minshew yesterday looked good. And the one benefit of Anthony Richardson not being on the field is not necessarily the fact that Gardner Minshew can win you games. It's the fact that Gardner Minshew now is able to showcase for the Colts that he does have the ability still to play at a good level, maybe not an elite level, but to play at a good to high level in the NFL and a level that is good enough that if you had an elite roster around him, you could make some noise. And if I'm the Colts, I'm telling you, if you go one more week with Gardner Minshew and he has the same kind of production, I am absolutely calling the New York Jets to see what sort of interest they might have. Because what what have they been supposedly exploring? Matt Ryan? I was in Florence, Italy this time a year ago. I saw the statue of Michelangelo's David. It looked like Matt Ryan to me. Okay? <laughs> Colin Kaepernick? I mean, I have a Colin Kaepernick watch. It hasn't worked in seven years, right? Carson Wentz? 
Come on. Joe Flacco? Joe Flacco? <laughs> go back to the go back to the Michelangelo's David comment. I know that sounds crazy, and I know that's a ridiculous thing to take out of the game yesterday, but I'm telling you, you saw it yesterday. You saw that Anthony Richardson has tools. Anthony Richardson has skills. I thought the touchdown run, the second one, the thing that was the most impressive, twofold. Number one was his ability to, to find that open lane, but number two, how open that lane was, and number three, his decision-making and knowing when to go ahead and abort the pass and go for it and score out of it. I mean, there were. You saw it yesterday, Jimmy. You saw. It, you're like, okay, this is why this guy is what you're going to build around. And based on that, I believe. Just my thought. I believe, though, that it is it is in the Colts' best interest to right now start accumulating as many weapons around him as you can possibly get, in, including to. And not limited to, but including if that just simply means getting a fifth round pick for a, for a backup quarterback that might win you three or four extra games, but I'd rather have that fifth rounder that I can turn into another Zaire Franklin or another Zach Moss or another Jelani Woods or whatever and give him yet another weapon. You can never have too many of them. You're not crazy for a number of different reasons on this particular subject. I can't speak broadly, but I can speak for this specific well, subject matter. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you mentioned this last week. We had the same conversation prior to Minshew's rebirth or impact moment that he had yesterday when Anthony Richardson goes down. You said it right after Aaron Rodgers got hurt on Monday Night Football. So this isn't necessarily a new conversation, but it gets amplified because of the way Minshew played and the struggles of Zach Wilson. I'm with you if... The Jets and the Colts are having conversations in a week's time, two weeks' time, maybe this week. If it's an offer that is tantalizing, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, something like that that allows you to continue to add to the war chest for next offseason so you can speed up the rebuild process and help get Anthony Richardson more weapons, I'm all here for it. And that's the exact thought that I had yesterday. But then another thought popped into my mind, and this caveat only matters if Anthony Richardson is heading down a path of injury proneness and I think that's part narrative but part cautious reasonable fear by fans because you mentioned two straight weeks two early exits it's it's disconcerting a bit I get that but the other aspect of this season not so much winning games is the development of that wide receiver room and the development of an unproven tight end room and needing a competent quarterback back there that's to help their development. Yeah, so that's fair. if it's not a reasonable offer, or at least a tantalizing offer from a team like the Jets, or if another starting quarterback gets knocked out, I would almost want Minshew still here yeah, to develop to the develop weapons, the weapons that are there for Richardson. That's fair. And, and I do think that, you know, hey, how about Moali Cox on that one play? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, he played with a little bit of a mission, right? <laughs> but, you know, I again... That that's a that is a very fair point that's hard to argue, right? I mean, but I go back to, and maybe Ellinger doesn't isn't able to do that for you. I, that that might be a, a fair point. I don't know if he is, then it nullifies that point. Well, right? my point being, I think Ellinger probably plays more of a style of like a Richardson, the mobility aspect of it. But you know, clearly Jim Irsay last year loved Ellinger, and so you've got a backup. If you've got a number three quarterback on your roster that your owner last year thought was worthy of being a starter then that would seem as though that that backup is expendable. But it's a very good point about Men Menchu's a very accurate passer. And I just like the dude, man. I mean, like, I, I just, I've just i never met him. But 
And when I say that, I mean, you know, it's meeting him, meaning like having one-on-one conversations aside from football type thing. You know, we don't we don't know these you guys. You guys aren't at Panera on Wednesdays? Yeah, exactly. No? Okay. But, um, but I think his approach and his professionalism is extremely respectable. That's why Steichen wanted him, right? That's why Correct. it was a goal this offseason was to bring him here. Uh, and obviously he, he knows that system. You know, but look, whoever New York or whatever team it may be brings in as an emergency quarterback – is is going to be the system is going to be new to them for sure the other thing i was curious about in the game and and this is maybe a little too nuanced but i thought houston kind of gave it to the colts late like now granted the colts were in like more of the prevent defense and stroud was able to to hit some open receivers and stroud made some nice throws and and threw for you know what do you have 384 something like that that he threw for but a lot of that you know they were kind of giving them some of that but 13 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, okay? So you're early fourth quarter. You're down 31-10. You've got, a, you've got a fourth down, and you are in field goal range. you got to go for it there, right? I didn't understand this. I thought Houston basically – at that point, the game was over. Because I know that you have an entire quarter to play, and I'm sure people that, that coach football and, and do like the – percentage odds and all that probably can disagree with me or prove me wrong here but you're down 31 10 you opt for the field goal okay by hitting that field goal and cutting the lead to 18 you are still guaranteed that you have to score three more times you need three more possessions well as it stands they didn't have enough time Right? Because they, yeah. they had no margin for error because they needed three more scoring. If you score right there and you make it 30, if you get the fourth, in other words, if you get stopped there, the game's over. But by kicking a field goal, the game was basically over anyway because you didn't have enough time to get three more full possessions to score and, and, and either win or force overtime. So you score there and it's 31 17. Now you only need two more possessions. But you guaranteed that you needed three more possessions. You had zero margin for error the rest of the game. And as soon as they kicked that field goal to go 31 13, I'm like, it's over. They don't have enough time. They sacrificed. They, they went the easy route. They played conservatively there, and they should have been more aggressive because they put themselves in a position where they had to be aggressive. Depending on where the ball is, and in that scenario, I agree with you, I tend to be like, all right, fine, just kick the field goal, whatever, get yourself into the conversation because they still did have late. It would have needed an onside kick and some type of you know miracle to be able to get back into this, but you kick a field goal with – their second field goal later in the game with like 244 to go and then all of a sudden you're you know in a different conversation of things uh, for me where i they missed that field goal is what i'm talking about but had they hit that it's an eight point game maybe get an onside kick but to your point though if you're a young team and you're a bad team you know what kaimi fairbairn can do you you know that he's a good kicker you don't need to send him out there at fourth and goal from the 18 when you're down at that point what 31 to 31 to 10, you make it 31 to 13. Let your offense go out there. It's an experience moment for CJ Stroud. He's also a young quarterback. I would roll the dice with where the score was. It's not like you're only down two scores and that field goal keeps you back in it. You're still down 18 at that point, even with making the field goal. So I'm right there with you. Situational football, some might say, oh, always take the points. Well, if it's fourth and goal and you're already down about three scores, just go for it. Give your offense another rep. Colts reaction Monday. 239 1070 is the telephone number. Rick joins us. Rick, you're in the company. What's up? 
Well, uh, first question I wanted to ask you was, when you go on road trips, do you highlight the roads that you go on? Now, elaborate what you mean by that. Well, going to that way you always assure yourself of going to on uh, new roads and seeing new places if you know if you know where you've been. <laughs> well, I will say I'm a creature of habit, Rick. Are you? Okay. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Now, uh, Jake, I was just going to say regarding Minshew going to the Jets, I just think it's a real bad idea. Erlinger does not win that game yesterday. Minshew wins that game. I figure Minshew's probably good for three or four victories. As a Colts fan, I've got some hope this season, but I sure hope they don't trade Minshew away for a fifth-round draft pick. As a Colts fan, that's just not worth it. No, and, and Rick, I, I understand from a fan standpoint for sure, right? And 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 I'm additionally, Rick, I'm I'm basically almost thinking outside the box with this. So I don't want you to think by any stretch of the imagination that I'm saying like this is what they have to do or that that's even in conversation. My point simply being this, and this is where it's difficult, the separation between fan, which I understand your standpoint, and like executive. And if your job as an executive is to build the long-term vision of the franchise, then your best interest is not even necessarily wins this year. Rather, it's building piece by piece the blocks necessary to have the proper pieces around Anthony Richardson. And, you know, the difference, in other words, the difference between if they were to, let's say the Colts are a four to five win team this year. And let's say Minshew gets you an extra one or two in there, and so now you're six or seven wins. You've All that's done is slide you from 10th to 15th in the draft. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where that helps you. Right. But, you know, that Jacksonville game was, I thought, winnable. And, uh, you know, if we get uh, Taylor back, who knows what this team could do. And I don't want to be throwing away hope and chances for uh, a fifth round draft pick by a GM. But but here's the thing, Rick, let's let's just say this. Here's here's my point. Here's my point, okay? If if you are correct and if everything goes the Colts way this year, Taylor comes back, he's a 1500-yard back, he plays unbelievable. Um you know, Richardson's playing the whole year and and occasionally there's one or two games where he gets hurt and Minshew has to come in. In that scenario, what is the ceiling on number of wins you think the Colts would get this year? Realistically. Seven or eight. Okay, that does you no good. I, I get it. From a fan standpoint, you're right, and I totally understand that. But if you are an executive that is in charge of building the roster of the Indianapolis Colts, winning seven or eight games is the absolute worst thing you can do because you are stuck then in NFL purgatory. Draft 16th every year and enjoy your backup right guard from Texas A&M. <laughs> Hell yeah, that'll sell tickets. I, I, that's that's my only point. It's a short-sighted viewpoint I, that fans get caught up and with. And I totally understand and, it. Yeah, it's very reasonable. I, I totally respect where Rick's coming from. I'm just saying, if you have to think long-term and long-term vision. By the way, Indiana, um, boy, tale of two halves. Don Fisher will join us next to talk about exactly that. And then Derek, stick around. We'll get back into the Colts conversation after that as well on a reactionary Monday, week two of the NFL season. It's Query and Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Half past 12 in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's half past 12 everywhere in the Eastern time zone. 
My name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, the others you hear on this program. It's Query and Company on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Joining us now, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, who on Saturday I was um, driving around doing errands and listened to the predominant broadcast between Indiana and Louisville for the vast majority of that game. And Don Fisher, I thought to myself the following, and then I want your assessment of it from a football standpoint. Indiana's performance against Louisville reminded me of a lot of the classes that I took at Indiana. Got off to a really slow start, realized about midway through the semester I needed to kind of get my my rear in, in gear, and then finished pretty strong but not quite strong enough. But I thought it was really the tale of two halves. What was the difference in terms of what Indiana schematically did that caused the slow start against Louisville and then how they were able to kind of right the ship a little bit? Well, I don't know that anything had to do with scheme so much as it did with momentum. And at halftime, of course, the Hoosiers went into the locker room, and I watched their trek to the to the to the room itself off the field. I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, very optimistic about what we were going to see uh, in the second half. And then the onside kick. Um, recovered by Indiana, and then Taven Jackson taking it right down the field in that first drive of the second half to score a touchdown, totally rejuvenated this football team. Um, I don't think they did a great deal different. Uh, certainly they made some changes defensively, I think, schematically a little bit. But more than anything, they just executed what they've been taught all week long prior to the Louisville game. I think they just... They came back out. They finally got a spark. Uh, the spark was something that they couldn't, uh, that Louisville couldn't extinguish, because Indiana's defense started to play just better than they did in the first half. To carry out their assignments, not make so many mistakes, and not give up big plays. And then, from an offensive standpoint, they actually had a couple of decent drives in the first half. They just couldn't capitalize on them, or something would happen in the last third down scenario, and they couldn't quite get a first down. But when you looked at the totality of the, of the second half, Indiana pretty much dominated the second half with the exception of the last four and a half minutes when they had to get a stop uh, and to get the ball back and they just couldn't quite get it done. So I look at it from that perspective more so than anything really schematically or anything like that. Don, I know Coach Allen mentioned this post game, but it's easy to forget just how young Taven Jackson is. How important is it moving forward for the program? I, mean, I know recruiting classes change and transfer portals impact things, but how important is it for the program and what Coach Allen is trying to build offensively to let those mistakes happen for them to help in his overall growth, which we kind of saw in a microcosm from first half to second half? And again, I, I don't think Taven did anything wrong in the first half. I think more than anything, uh, with Taven Jackson, I think the key here is let him play, let him make mistakes. He's got the tools to be really outstanding. He does. He's just got that. He's got a little swagger to him. He's one of those guys that believes in himself. He's got great self-confidence. Um, he, he is a guy has got a great arm. Uh, he sees the field well. I think that's the most critical thing for any quarterback. If you don't see the field well, if you can't read defenses, and I am surprised uh, at what he's been able to do in reading the defenses thus far because that's always probably the slowest thing to pick up on and the thing that you have to study the most to learn. And yet he just seems to have a command out there and seems to know where he's supposed to be and where his receivers are at. 
He's going to make some bad throws every now and then. That's just part of it. That's part of the growth. And it's part of the excitement of being a first-year starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman. I mean, you're going to make a few mistakes. But uh, I think that confidence level he plays with. And I think last week, I think I mentioned this before to you guys, but on Monday of last week, uh, we interviewed him. I had a chance to interview him. The press did. And... Uh, the one thing they talked about was how free he feels when he's actually in a game situation. He really ex- he exalts at being on the field in uh, a football game itself. And without, I mean, practice part of it, I think that's got to probably be a more of a focus for him because I don't, I think I've heard a couple of people say that he's not the greatest practice player in the world. Uh, but I tell you what, when he gets on the football field, he plays like he's been working on it all week long, and he looks confident. I just love his confidence level and the belief that he has in himself. And I think he kind of—I think he believes in his football team too. And he knows he's got a great receiving core to throw it to, and he's got some talented, skilled weapons behind him. Don, there was a play. And I can't remember. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, is our guest. I can't remember if it was in the – I think it was late first half where Tavion Jackson is scrambling. It was either a third and long or it might have even been fourth down. I think it was third and long. And he stepped out of bounds about two yards short of – and it looked like he might have been able to get the first down, but, he, but like he kind of lost sight of where the marker was. And, you know, you, you chalk it up to, obviously, just a young player that is still learning his way. I'm curious, and I'll use Antoine Randall as an example because he's a guy that I believe you know you saw playing in multiple years and starting as a young player in his development at the quarterback position and making decisions like that with his feet and his arm. How long do you think, in your experience in watching college football, Don, is a realistic or fair number of games for a player to play before those little nuances are instinctive and not something they're having to think through, but they've learned their way through? Well, I think it probably depends on the individual, uh, Jake. I, I mean, how smart of a football player are you? And let's face facts here. David Jackson's dad, Ray Jackson, played college and pro football, high school, college and pro football. And David has been living with that his entire life. And so I'm not so sure that his learning curve isn't a lot shorter uh, in the sense of learning uh, the things that, and the nuances of being a quarterback as it might be for some guys who don't have that background. I, I think that's a huge factor in David Jackson's growth as a football player and as a person. And I think I think David right now, I'm not saying that he's not going to learn those kinds of things in a short or long period of time. I just think it's it'll become instinctive pretty quickly for him because of his background more than anything else. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Don, the conversation point around IU football for the better part of the last decade has been inability to put together two complete halves of football. Coach Allen highlighted that again post game on Saturday after the loss to Louisville. When you look at that aspect of of trying to put together those two complete halves while also looking ahead to their next couple games on the schedule against Akron at home and then on the road against Maryland, these are two critical games where, yes, you need those complete halves of football to be put on display, but also for your bowl hopes when you look at where the schedule is and the level of competition, this is a key window and a key stretch for IU. 
it is. Uh, certainly, Akron is a game that they've got to win. Uh, it's a game you're expected to win. Akron's one and two. Kentucky beat them thirty-five to three this past weekend. They have a so- Akron's got a solid team. They're not bad. They're in a second year of a coaching change at Akron. Uh, the guy is an offensive-minded guy. He'll have a plan for Indiana. Um, and you've got, to, but you still have to win this game, and you probably have to win it in a strong fashion if you're if it's going to be considered a good win. And then on top of that, then you've got Maryland coming up for two road games, in fact, back to back, which will be very difficult. And right now, the most important thing I think for this football team is to continue developing confidence. Uh, after the first half, like I said earlier, uh, it was not pretty. Uh, what I saw going into the locker room at halftime, and yet they responded. And, of course, the onside kick had a lot to do with changing the entire momentum of the game. But getting that touchdown after they responded and got the or, or after they got the uh, onside kick, that to me told me something uh, about the ability of this football team to come back and to respond. And they did it throughout. They just didn't make the one play that they needed to make and some people want to put that on the offensive coordinator for the call, and I understand that. Uh, it certainly looked like a quarterback sneak might be the more pressure thing to do, but it didn't happen that way. But I think this team, because of all the newness of the players on this team, guys, and I think the transfer portal factor here of all the guys from the portal that are playing in key roles of this football team, and these guys, uh, based, I talked to one of them today in an interview that I did, uh, Philip Bleedy, one of the uh, defensive tackles that transferred in from Texas Tech. These guys believe in themselves. They think they're pretty good, and they love the culture that Tom Allen has built at IU, which I think is something a lot of people poo-poo and, and laugh at sometimes, the LEO, love each other, syndrome. That, these kids believe in that, and he's got them believing in it. And... I just think that this ball club right now with the new faces and how they've acclimated to Bloomington and to IU and to the football program, it, it, it says good things about what could come in this season. But the only thing that's going to make a difference here, guys, is if you win. And if they don't win, then they're going to be in trouble just like they have been for years upon years. Don, do you remember the old days of the RCA Dome when you'd go as a spectator and you would leave and the, the air pressure would, like, blow you out of the, the building? You know what I mean? Like, the wind was behind you, you remember, and, like, people's hats were blowing off. You remember that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, sometimes I think to myself, maybe it's under blessing that, that this wasn't around back then because I feel like outside of Bloomington, that's what the wind would have felt like if the transfer portal was in t- it was there during the Bob Knight era of basketball. It would like the the door would have been rotating so quickly that the wind just would have been blowing you up thirty seven. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's a different era now of 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 players that transfer, and I think that someone like me. You know, I think like, man, you, you know, how much has this changed the trajectory of, of college athletics? And initially, I think in a bad way, because you want players to ride out adversity. But then you look at it, and to your point, I, I do think that for a program like at Indiana, it can actually be worked to your advantage, right? Because you're getting players that have competitive level of play in other conferences that can come in. It's just a matter of them kind of gluing together, I guess, right? I mean, is that the biggest challenge in it all? I think I think it has to be. I, I would think that that would be the biggest challenge because when you've got well, think about Colorado. 
I mean, that, yeah. that's the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen in college football to basically redo your entire roster. I mean, that's what Deion Sanders has done out there. I, I just, that's, that's an amazing scenario when you think about what he's accomplished with the transfer portal and what kind of success they're having early on. And without doubt, I mean, Indiana's defense last year was not very good. Of course, they had one of their key players, Cam Jones, their key linebacker that was lost for the season about halfway through uh, that really hurt this program. But at the same time, we didn't have anybody to replace him. And the transfer portal has done that this year with all – they only had two starters back on defense. And they're playing so many guys that have not played a lot of football at Indiana or if they have played at Indiana, they haven't played a ton. Uh, plus all these transfer portal players that they're utilizing, and it has really helped this defense. There's no question about that. And granted, it didn't look like that in the first half because they made a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, you can see that this is a better defense than we had a year ago, and how do you make that transition that quickly? And it was the transfer portal that's responsible. Don Fisher will be able to play a little bit of golf on Saturday because it's a night game for the Hoosiers against Akron. You can hear it on 93 WIBC 730 kick down at Memorial Stadium. Don, appreciate it. Enjoy the fabulous weather, and we'll be listening to the call against Akron. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It's Don Fisher again, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll come back. Derek's been waiting patiently. We'll get back into the Colts conversation and look back on week two of the National Football League here on Query and Company 93.5-1075 The Fan. Eddie Garrison, CEO of the company, firing up some 60s tunes of the animals, right? Throwing back a little bit. You didn't didn't give us any uh, – I think it's funny. Uh, It's interesting to me that – you you go out to Colorado for a week and you come back and you're playing hippie rock. What, what happened? <laughs> Anything you want to tell us? I was only out there, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so four days. So Sometimes it's all takes. You encountered, Eddie, one of my great sports conundrums that I have offered many, many a time and had furious debates with people about. Oh, no, what is it? You went to a baseball game, correct? I did. By the way, does it bother you that people respond that way with, oh, no? whenever you bring up something like that because <laughs> I've done it, it now and so is Eddie. I'm used to it. Um, <laughs> in the game that you went to see, what was the score, the final score? It was 3-2. to two. Oh, okay. So what was the score late in the game? It was, it, one, you correctly. it was 1 to nothing going into the top of the eighth and the Giants were being no-hit leading 1 to nothing. So the Rockies were throwing the no-hitter. Yes, the Rockies were throwing the no-hitter at that time. you were at the Rockies' ballpark. Correct. Presumably there, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't have a huge rooting interest, but you rooted for the Rockies because win in Rome, right? Well, that and if the Rockies were winning, it benefited the Reds in terms of their wild card placement. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So, I have always wondered, if you went to a Major League Baseball game and your team was in a close game, but there were being no-hit, would you root for the no-hitter? I would. No. Come on, man. I would be willing to root How about for the perfect, perfect game. game. Perfect, perfect game, I would game, do yes. it. No hitter, no. Perfect game, yes. I just still think it'd be awesome to say, I mean, like... It I, also would depend on the score. If it's like 5 nothing and it's the bottom of the ninth and the guy's going for a no hitter, all right, then I'm willing to forgive it a little I, bit. But it's if it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different in September, admittedly. The scenario I've always presented is it's the, the second week in June and you go to a game and your team is down one nothing, but there being no hit aren't you kind of privately root like I, I would root to see the no hitter because I've never seen I've been to I, literally I bet I've been to 500 major league baseball games I've never seen a no hitter never even seen one close to a no hitter 
a perfect game in particular, you have to root for. It's only been done, what, 23 times in the history of Major League Baseball? Yeah, yeah per- perfect game, I will concede to. But yeah, no-hitter, it's all situational for me. If you give me the choice between seeing some guy get a no-hitter or an Aaron Judge walk-off, because I'm a Yankees fan, I'm taking the Judge walk-off all, all day. Okay. I, I just think... I mean, I've seen... I, I'm a Reds fan. I've been to a, a thousand Reds games. Not a thousand, but I've been to a lot of Reds games, right? I mean, I've seen them late in the year you know for come from behind wins to keep them in a playoff push if they didn't win the world series that year i'm like i don't remember what happened what that got them but i would remember a no hitter i mean forever like like you would think people would say like hey i saw a no hitter and i remember exactly who pitched it who was against you know etc you would remember everything about it uh yesterday colts winning in houston rick demolin coming up here in just a couple minutes so let's squeeze in Derek because he's been waiting patiently Derek, what's up hey Hey, hello, this is Derek White. I'm the Director of Veterans Affairs for Querying Company. That's exactly right, yes. I, I just want a couple of quick things. First thing I want to say is hotty toddy for my Ole Miss Rebels, but Bama's still going to beat them by 30 come Saturday. What's Ole Miss's record? Um, what is it? We're undefeated right now. I think it's 3-0, 4-0. I can't remember exactly. Who did they beat Saturday? Do you know? Georgia Tech. I was at... Uh, I was in Oxford last year when they played Auburn, by the way. It was a great atmosphere. I went to the Grove. I thought the Grove was a little overrated, truth be told, but it was fun. Uh, well, the Grove is – downtown is where you need to go. <laughs> we went to downtown, too, the night before, and it was cool. Yeah. What did you uh, think of the game this, yesterday, Derek? Uh, yeah, I think I told you last week when I called, and I didn't think we would have an issue winning this game, especially with uh, the Houston Texans having basically backups all over the field. I thought Richardson looked good while he was in there. And as I've said before, the only thing that bothers me about him with the injuries is um, when he's running and gets caught from behind. That seems like when a lot of quarterbacks get hurt. But he's getting hurt so early in the season, it's starting to really concern me. What do you think? I I think, listen, two injuries, two games. is. uh, Here's the thing, Derek, and let's be real here. I appreciate the call. We have in this market, what do I talk about all the time? Precedent, right? We have a natural tendency as humans with anything to go with precedent and try to compare it to situations we have seen before because, you know, history repeats itself. And those who don't know history are most prone to have it repeat itself. And I think in this market, people look at a big running quarterback that does not slide and immediately they have the PTSD of the guy walking off the field after a game in the preseason against the Chicago Bears and having to boo because you can't believe that his career is coming to an end. Now, that's an extremely – I mean, that is a Bob Beeman-level jump to go from Andrew Luck to Anthony Richardson after two injuries in two games. But you understand the point, Jimmy, that people are naturally a little bit hesitant, right? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I mean, I, I get it, but like – we were talking about how, and I get it, the offensive line is still not up to par, but we were talking about with the Andrew Luck saga over years and years of, oh, this guy's running for his life every time and he's not protected. Both the first injury to Anthony Richardson, at least the one that pulled him out of the game, was he made a mistake lowering the shoulder, being too aggressive as a young quarterback, and the other yesterday was a freak accident. Like, Well, I don't think, I don't think it's about the protection. I think it's just simply the point of, regardless of how it happens – when you have multiple injuries early in a quarterback's career that is a big, durable quarterback, there are going to be people that are Colts fans that are going to say, let's not go down this road again. Let, let's let's 
whatever it may be, whatever the, the reasoning may be, even if it's just him stepping on Legos in the morning. I, you know what I mean? It's like, a natural response. I get right, that. It's a natural response. Speaking of protecting him, one guy that has uh, spent a career in the NFL when he was playing protecting quarterbacks joins us next, Rick DeMulling. Jimmy, if you were to invite our next guest to your house to watch a Colts game, well, for that matter, if you came home from a Colts game and this person had been in your house, your house would be a complete wreck, stuff would be broken, and there would be like spray paint everywhere. Do you know why? Why is that? Because he's a vandal. I think Idaho Vandals is one of the great mascots (laughs) in all of college sports. I don't think any other school are the Vandals, right? Are they the only Vandals? Do we know? I feel like that's probably uncontested. Rick DeMoling joins us now on the hotline, the former Colt and Idaho Vandal. Am I correct in saying that you, that's the only Vandal in college athletics? The one and only, baby. Proud to be an Idaho Vandal. Uh, oddly enough, I'm heading back there on uh, this weekend. We have an alumni reunion, and I cannot wait to get back into the Kibbe Dome. I love that place. Do you guys have to like spray paint stuff everywhere and, and break stuff? Is that part of being it a vandal? Absolutely a requirement to <laughs> things. To it's be a vandal, is. to be an offensive lineman. I mean, everything that you you just said is what we do on a daily. <laughs> I bet. Uh, Rick DeMullen joins us. Let's begin with this. Um, your your thoughts and impressions just of the Colts' efforts against Houston. I think we know that Houston is you know, obviously this is not one of the better teams in the league, but still they did what they had to do. What was your overall takeaway from yesterday's game? It was great to see um, because they did what they should have done against a team that, yes, I think is lesser. I mean, I came away at first, I'm like, yeah, this is great. Very optimistic. Then I'm like, okay, this team had four offensive linemen that I wouldn't say off the street, but like weren't slated to be starters. They had what, 27 new guys on the team. So I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm also like realist. Like, okay, this wasn't the best team, but like the way that they pressured the quarterback, the way that they protected our quarterback. I mean, I thought it was great. Um, it was fun to watch, and I mean, really bummed obviously Richardson go down. But um, as a whole, I think there's a lot to be excited about, and but I'll still always a lot to work on. When you look at you mentioned the protection of the quarterback. And when you look at the offensive line, we'll get to Richardson here in a minute, Rick, but I want your thoughts on this because you would know. When Ryan Kelly goes out and you've got to go to backup center, um, on the offensive line in terms of just kind of the continuity of a line, my guess, outside observation, I did play offensive line in middle school, don't get me wrong, but it would be the center would be the position that is the most critical in terms of the cohesiveness of the line. And so I give them credit for the fact that when Ryan Kelly goes out, they still seemingly played, you know, pretty good solid offensive line play. Is the center the most difficult position to immediately plug in? Absolutely. I mean, even at the middle school level, I tell you what, don't short sell yourself. That middle school ball. <laughs> we were undefeated two years in a row. Thank you very much. I tell you what, they don't. If you don't get a ring for that, that's a. That's an issue. <laughs> There's a plaque, and they misspelled There's my name. Plaque. But anyway, I digress. That hey, I mean, we we need to talk to them. Um, but yes, I would say obviously because the center is the quarterback of the offensive line. The quarterback or the, the center is going to be directing where to go in the run game, where to go in the pass game, and starts it off from there. So like, if you don't have somebody that knows what they're doing, then yeah, it, it starts really messing with things. But I, I think he did a phenomenal job. And I'm sure everybody was talking about, but like the old French fries name names were back in there together. If you notice, like didn't that blow up the internet last year? Oh, of and, course, uh, yeah, it was like trending, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I don't know if it trended yesterday, but they were back at it again, right next to each other. Rick, how big was Zach Moss and his ability to kind of stabilize the running back room yesterday? And then, as you move forward, 
How many more of those do you need to see strung together before? I'm, no one's going to replace Jonathan Taylor. We know that, but mm-hmm. it, it was a massive upgrade from where the running game was a week ago. How much of that is they just took advantage of Houston schematically, and how much of that is no Zach Moss can play, and this is going to be a stabilizing force moving forward? I would say a good bit of both. Um, if you saw, like the line was surging forward the vast majority of the time, right? They were they were making holes. And when there weren't holes, Moss was like, he wasn't going down easy. So that's great to see. Because when you sit there and see an offensive line totally dominate and a running back gets a bunch of yards, you're like, oh, great. But, I mean, he was taking hits behind the backfield and still chugged forward for a couple of yards. So I, I got to say it's a little bit of both. I mean, he, he was – he's hard to bring down. Um, you, you get that going and his vision and be able to cut back when he sees it and be able to hit the hole and that offensive line firing, um, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. And hopefully, I know we're going to get to Richardson in a minute, but like having that threat as well with a running game that is already in place is, is exciting to see. Well, let's get to Richardson because, Rick, let's start with this. You know, he clearly can extend and, and make plays and design plays with his legs. Um what I'm impressed by, but I want your your critical eye here, I'm impressed by Anthony Richardson, even though clearly Shane Steichen is designing plays for him to run, but I think he shows so far a pretty good maturity on the plays where he is running out of the pocket on kind of knowing when to make that decision. I think his decision-making in run versus pass for his age is pretty mature, but you tell me your vantage point on it. Yeah, I absolutely agree because most guys, one, when they're that athletic and like their whole life, they're like, I can just get out of a jam by running. That's going to be their first option. Um, the, he is, he seems to be wise beyond his years, right? And like you use the word mature, mature, I would say poise as well. It's fun to see, and I don't like he has a work ethic. So being able to get out and roll out and extend a play, like you said, and then to, instead of just bolting down the the down the sideline or whatever that he needs to do to survive, he's trying to make the best play. And the thing I love about the design plays that they had, if you saw, it was a lot of like counter movement, right? So it was a lot of pulling. They had he had somebody to follow, um, and I, I love that like the fake sweep and then roll out. I mean, I love what they were doing with him. I mean, he he can be absolutely terrifying for a defense to defend. And then when he's making the right choices in regards to, like, either pull it down and run or, like, throw it, like, that's just going to be another um, tool in his toolbox. We obviously know that when you were in Indianapolis, Rick, you know, you're blocking for Peyton Manning, and you had a pretty good idea that Peyton Manning is not going to be running, and if he is, it probably means that Howard Budd's going to have a few words with you guys, right? Because it was not by design. But I'm guessing in Detroit, maybe Joey Harrington might have used his legs a little bit, and then you had different quarterbacks when you were in Detroit in particular that you're blocking for. You know, I mean, whether it be Garcia's coming in or they're going to, you know, Kitna, whatever, different veterans. How challenging is it as an offensive lineman? So I guess a two-part question. The first being to know how to block for a running quarterback when you don't know on some plays which way they're going to go with it? So do you have to change your blocking footwork and scheme mid-play depending on which way the quarterback decides to go? And then secondly, is it tough to have to block for different quarterbacks from one game to the next? Uh, that's very good. One, like, even those guys that up in Detroit, nobody was really mobile, right? And I don't know what you're talking about, Peyton. Peyton would do a fierce fake handoff and then roll around the end for a 30, 40 yarder every once in a while. He did have one against Oakland that then went on his career highlights forever, yes. Um, 
But in regards to being able to change, I, I would say it's a blessing and a curse if you have a guy that's running like Richardson because one, it's like, okay, he just saved my butt because I missed my block and he made something happen. And then the other one is like, oh my gosh, I don't know where he's going to be. So like in my mind would be like, I just got to stick on my guy for as long as I can. I can't really push him outside because if he's going outside, he's probably chasing my quarterback because most times a pocket quarterback, you're like, okay, if I have a defender that goes way outside, I can just ride him outside and push him. But you got to kind of stick to him like glue, I would think, with Richardson. But I got to think it'd be a complete benefit for an offensive lineman to be able to have a quarterback extend the play and run, even if you don't know where he is. Is it tough in the middle of a game when the quarterback changes and now all of a sudden you've got somebody that runs? I mean, the offense is probably going to be the same, but just in terms of the style of the nuance of a quarterback, how difficult is it from one guy to the next? I don't think it's much. I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience that with, with the Colts because Peyton never <laughs> missed right. a snap. Um, but I don't think it changes for you because you want to run and want to run the ball. So that's not going to change anything you do. And in regards to, like, pass protection, it, I mean, you never want to, like, oh, I have a running quarterback so I can, you know, not be as good. So I, I don't think it really changes much. I mean, with Howard Mudd, we would do what's called a jump set every single time. So nothing, nothing ever changed for us, whoever was in the backfield. Um, but I don't think even the guys that are in there now going from a mobile quarterback to a non-mobile quarterback, anything is going to change. Their job is to protect their guy, and that's what they're going to do no matter what. Rick, what's been your immediate reaction the last 12 to 18 hours post-injury for Anthony Richardson? Because there's been a couple of mentions of Andrew Luck's name and maybe preemptive fear from fans that, well, look what happened with Luck's career and you got to be careful with Anthony Richardson and the injuries. When I look at it, I see one that was decision-making on his part where can't lower the shoulder in that situation, be a little bit more careful. And the other one was just a freak hit that, you know, not saying concussions aren't repeatable, but that's not something you can necessarily prevent from happening. Where's your reaction line between maybe the overreaction of we need to bundle this guy in bubble wrap versus hey, you just got to let him play? You just got to let him play. You can't, I mean, because then you're operating out of fear, right? Luck was a totally different situation. He had zero protection and he was getting massacred in the pocket, right? He was running for his life. There's a big difference. And like, Anthony is he's a running quarterback. That is one of the, the tools that they draft why they drafted him because he can run. So I don't think you can sit there and maybe you don't run him as much, but like when you're in the like within the red zone, that needs to be a threat to change that defense. And that's what he's good at. Now I think with him, he should. Uh, it, to me, it looked like he kind of let up a little bit and kind of thought like, "Oh, nobody's going to hit me." And then he's like, "Oh crap, somebody just hit me," and that happened. Right? I mean, I would just tell him like, "Be prepared." to hit and be hit at all times. Because, um, I mean, that hit, when it wasn't even the hit. It was the hit on the ground. I mean, that's that's what's kind of scary, right? Those hits that make you fall on the ground and whip your neck and hit your head. I, but I don't think you can be play out of fear or even coach out of fear because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? And so just be ready to get hit at all times. Did you ever, Rick, in your playing career, go into concussion protocol? I should have, but I never did. Yeah, I was gonna. So, what is the what is the protocol? I mean, I know it's even probably different now than when you were playing, which is not. It's not like you were playing in the leather helmet era, but it it is an area that the league is much more conscientious and and safe. But what was were there even ways for you as a player? Can the player themselves almost put themselves into the protocol if that makes sense? 
Now they can. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know if we even had a protocol, really, um, when I was playing. It was never something like, hey, you can, you need to come out if you have a concussion. I'm sure it was, like, thought of, but, like, it was – and I don't want to use the word it was code among people to, like, not come out, but, like, it just – you just didn't, you know, unless you were, like, knocked out, down. I mean, my concussions were I got whacked in the head, fell to the ground, didn't know where I was for a little bit. All right, let's keep it moving. But – um yeah, it, it's tough to see because the guys from when, even when I played are just getting bigger, stronger, and faster. So getting hit is just going to create that much more force onto the neck and head. So, I mean, I'm glad to see that they're having a, a concussion protocol and that they're having, like, medical spotters doing that because most guys, vast majority of guys, are going to have a concussion and just p- try to play through it. Right? That's just how you're brought up as a football player. Well, you're and probably I mean, also good. paranoid, Rick, of, you know, I mean – Peyton Manning wouldn't have th- right like Peyton Manning wouldn't have thought this Marvin Harrison would have thought it but y- you know aren't you also constantly to that point right you're worried about look I'm not I don't want to step out because this next guy I may never step on the field again yeah I think that's again goes back to like playing in fear I don't know if that was ever a thought process in the time but yeah looking back at you like you know during the the week you're probably like man I wish I didn't say anything because now I'm not playing anymore um but then again I'm always under the impression of like, if it's your job, go win your job, right? Make it so they can't keep you off the field. Um, so if you come back from concussion protocol, go win your job back. Um, but yeah, that's probably a, a very valid point for a lot of guys. Like, I'm not going to tell somebody I have concussion because this is, <laughs> you know, I might have one chance at this. So let's say Rick DeMoling that Jim Mersey called you last night, okay? So you're sitting there, you're watching TV, phone rings, you look down, boss man, you, you know, Rick, man, what's going on? It's Jim. And so he says to you that he's worried that the team's going to get too comfortable after a win. So as a former, as a, as a Colt alum, he wants you to come into practice and he wants you to address the three areas that you feel like need to be tightened up and the three things that were maybe not of concern in the Houston game but that you just felt like weren't on all cylinders that they need to clean up. What would those three things be? Good question. Um, Three things. I would say, one, just stay consistent, right? I mean, I would harp the fact, like, listen, everybody's good in this league. Every week you got to go and earn it. You can't sit there and, like, you're you're only as good as your next win, and that's the case in this and, like, any professional sports. Um, taking care of the ball is always number one. I didn't see like a lot of issues with that. And really it's more of encouragement instead of like tightening things up, like get after the quarterback. That was a lot of fun to see the defense flying around, getting after the quarterback, making plays in the backfield. Um, but really I don't think it'd be a lot of like, let's tighten things up, even though, you know, I didn't watch the game film too closely. I'm sure there's always things to tighten up there, but like literally just like, Hey guys, on to the next, you, you can't, Winning that one has nothing to do with this next one. So that's kind of like the only only thing I would go after. And I would say like if you know your game checks are always on the line. If you if you want to keep uh, playing, keep winning, um, and keep getting paid. Do you think Zach Moss was that the real? Like is that what we're going to see? I, he ran hard, man. I mean, he reminded me yeah. of like a Mod Bradshaw. Like he just runs hard on every play. Is that? Is that true to form you think of who he is, or was that a guy that just was coming off injury and, and wanted to make a statement with all the Taylor conversation? Can we expect that game in and game out? I think yes to both. I'm sure that gave him some, um, hey, I'm, I have potentially a limited time to be the starter here if Jonathan comes back, but he did run hard, and I think that is not just a 
guys who can do that typically aren't just doing it for one game, right? That seems to be his MO. That seems to be the way that he he carries himself. So I think it's something we can definitely look forward to in the future. And if we get to keep the offensive line moving the way they are, surging forward, then you're going to see more games like that and even more. So last question on the game itself, Rick, would be this, and that is, I don't know if I've gotten a chance to ask you this. You might not have had a lot of it when you were playing. Uh, certainly in Indianapolis, I can't speak for you know Kansas City or, or Detroit or, or excuse me, I mean Detroit or you know the other places that you were, Washington. But um, are player holdouts a distraction in a locker room? I mean, when you have a star player who seemingly is a nice guy in Jonathan Taylor, but when he's not around and there's you know all the drama that swirls around it and the you know everybody's talking about it, fans, media, etc. Is that heard within the locker room? I think it is, but then it comes down to the the head coach, right? Where's how is he addressing that? And absolutely, I don't know how you can't take a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who is a game changing running back, and all the drama that's unfolded since he, you know, from this last from the summer. I don't know how it doesn't affect you, but I think at this point in the in the how it's all carried out, it may be more of a nuisance the guys if they're still getting questions about it if they're still like asking about Jonathan Taylor's like hey moving on like I may love Jonathan Taylor but right now he's not playing for us so let's focus on what we are so it's probably more of a nuisance than anything else and if they I I can't think it's going to affect how the one the lineman or anybody else in that locker room is going to prepare for the next week how's the hair look by the way my man it is solid i tell you what i i'm uh-huh. going to get a haircut today and I'm, i might send a pic and just put it out on social media because i'm not gonna lie um we grow hair andy crushed it love it now here's the thing are you still selling homes i am not um i actually own an insurance agency so we try to protect those homes okay that maybe that's what i was thinking of i was gonna say because if business is tight like now if you're pulling your hair out it doesn't matter because they're able to replace it for you right so you're good to go <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I always thought that PAI may have missed out or Regrow Harry missed out. Like they could have gone to Andrew Luck and said, hey, brother, let's shave <laughs> off and get some of that neck neck beard. And oh, yeah. Put that in people. People would pay a, a mint for that. So I got Andrew Luck's hair. <laughs> would you would you have had bangs that were Andrew Luck's neck beard? Would you have paid for that? Um. I'm not going to – I don't know if I should even comment on that. No matter what. The, the answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is no. I wouldn't. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, Rick, appreciate the time as always. Look forward to talking to you again, man. All right. You be good. All right. That's Rick DeMoling joining us on the program. Um, interesting stuff, especially about – I've always thought it would be tough, Jimmy, if you were a lineman and a quarterback is out and running. I mean, you've got to be aware of where he is, but at the same time, I thought the best thing that he said there – was I don't want to push my guy outside because if he's wanting to go that way, yeah. there must be a reason for it, right? Like he's so, in other words, he's got his scent on the quarterback. You don't want to push him and assist there, but that's got to be the one challenge, you know, of a guy that, that you never know where he might take off, right? I was also more taken aback and impressed with his answer to a quarterback change on the fly. You would think that'd be something far more difficult. And he basically didn't downplay it, but said it just, it's the reality of the job that happens sometimes. You know, you almost wonder, obviously with the quarterback, because you're looking at that guy calling the play, but you know, quarterbacks will tell you that like from a line standpoint, if sometimes if a lineman goes down and somebody else is in, like they don't even realize it. They're like, man, I'm not even, or like receivers that are coming in in formation. It's amazing to me in talking to NFL quarterbacks, some of the things 
that go on in terms of the huddle itself of what they see, what they're aware of, what they're not aware of. You know, there's just so much that goes into all of it, right? I mean, it's the – but that's why. I mean, it's the hardest position in sports, right? That just the – you have to be the eyes and ears of so many different things that you're paying attention to that sometimes the exact personnel is the one thing that, that you may not notice. Um, we'll continue the conversation about yesterday's win over the Texans. Jimmy and I will dive a little bit further into that question of are there areas that even in a win – that the Colts need to pay specific attention to today. We'll get you caught up on the latest in terms of the Anthony Richardson health situation uh, as we hear that over the course of the show. And I want to hear from you folks at 239-1070, your thoughts on yesterday's game. Colts now 1-1. One and one. They're tied for first in the division, right, Jimmy? They are. Well, they're technically a half game back because <laughs> the Jags have the tiebreaker. But still, it beats the alternative. It's Quarry and Company here, 93.5-1075, the fan. Now I'm going to call out Jimmy here. Is the president of the company. As soon as this song fired up from Eddie Garrison, I said, name the band. Can't do it. Heard the song. Can't do it, though. Come on. No. I refuse to play. How about this? Their lead singer created controversy and backlash when he changed the final lyrics to the national anthem at the Indianapolis 500. Also can't do it. Eddie? I'll Auto give you friend. the answer as to why Jimmy can't do it the first go around here. What's your favorite Aerosmith song? Oh, thank Don't you. stop believing. Thank you. By the way, to be clear, um, that was another, which I, sh- I should thank Brian No because I'm more prepared to work with you. That was another one of those where it was thrown at me blanketly, and I said the first thing that popped in my head and then quickly corrected myself. That's an out-of-context clip by Eddie Garrison. But nope, not okay. at all. No, I did. I corrected myself, Rose, what I did and apologized. And now, was it, what was your question? For about a week. I heard Indy 500. What was the question? The lead singer of that band created controversy and oh, got backlash. Steven Tyler? Correct. Yeah. He sang the national anthem at the Indianapolis 500 in, I believe, 2002. And at the end of it, he said, and the home of the, and then he paused and said, Indianapolis 500. And people, it did not go over well. Oh. Did not go over well. Uh, yesterday, Colts did go over well against the Houston Texans. Big win to put them now at 1-1 one and one on the young season. I think realistically, Jimmy, Houston is not overly talented. They're I mean, bad let's, football. Let's They're bad football They're bad. team. But still, the thing that the Colts did to me that was impressive was they didn't take their foot off the accelerator, right? Like once they... They got out to the lead, and Gardner Minshew played really well. Once I mean, Richardson got those two scores quick, right? And it's like, holy cow. And and you see why Anthony Richardson was taken where he is. Then he leaves with the concussion protocol, and, and Minshew came in. And look, I thought Gardner Minshew played really, really well, obviously. And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, and I know it's probably it, – it, if you're just joining us – where have you been? Um at the Company top of meeting. the show, what that's right. What I was saying was, assuming that Anthony Richardson does not miss more than a few games, and who knows? I mean, the concussion protocol, who knows, right? Seems as though this is, and I hate to say this about concussions, because I don't in any way, shape, or form want to lighten the severity of a neurological thing like that. But it wasn't like he was like uncon- knocked unconscious, and the and the team was like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And you know the the observation was that he was going to go into protocol. He apparently was like, "Hey, I I, I think I want to maybe get get this looked at." And Kylan Granson's the one that that said, "You know what? That shows a lot of maturity." 
shows a lot of maturity in a player. It also shows, um, I think, a player that is very comfortable in his standing and status within the roster. But so he went into the protocol, and let's say that he does miss another game. I love Gardner Minshew. And I thought the defining moment of that game yesterday was after Richardson's second touchdown when they were just showing the sidelines, like going to commercial break. I think other people caught it too. And you saw all three quarterbacks sitting there, and they looked literally like the kids from Stand By Me sitting around the campfire. Like they looked like young kids having fun and soaking it in. And Gardner Minshew and Sam Ellinger looked as happy for Anthony Richardson as Richardson looked that he had just scored a touchdown. And that's a huge thing. That's a, that's a, to clarify that. That's an air marker of good baseline culture notes around a franchise. I say that because when you look around the rest of the league at teams that are contenders, that's commonplace. Correct. So I, I'm not I, trying to that. undervalue what that is to see that from the Colts, but it's also like that should be what's happening. That well, it's good. To be fair, I, you know what's funny? It's all relative to an extent. If if you see that out of a group of guys and the team is on the rise, then you're right. I mean, it's it's like a chemistry thing, right? If a team is is winning, Philadelphia, and you have like if AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts are going at each other on the sidelines and they're three and four, people are like see look. But when you're winning, it's like well that's the competitive nature that you want. These guys just want to win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jeff Saturday and Peyton Manning screaming at each other was fabulous because it was like look how competitive each of them are. But if the, but if the Colts have been losing. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, but sometimes you need that. And sometimes instead of it being negative in the moment, it turns to a turning point of the right. season. Oh, look at that fight they had on the sidelines. Well, that saved the season. Listen, in Minshew's case, I say all that to say this. I love Gardner Minshew. I love everything he represents. I like the fact that the guy, um, I like that he played for Mike Leach. I like that when he got into the league, he, when people didn't expect it, became a starter and was a good one. I like the fact that he was willing to come here with Shane Steichen. I like that he's familiar with what Steichen can do offensively. But mostly I like the fact that a guy who probably, I would think he could start places in the NFL. There are, there are franchises that, that would start him this year. But he came here with Shane Steichen. And when Anthony Richardson was handed the keys, Gardner Minshew said, hey, I get it. I totally get it and I understand my role. And that is really important. As I mentioned earlier, if Gardner Minshew wins you a couple of games that maybe you weren't going to win, if Anthony Richardson, this year is about Anthony Richardson, period. And you saw yesterday why, right? And he looked dynamic yesterday, but there are also going to be games where he's going to look like C.J. Like Stroud did in the first half of yesterday. You know, there were a couple of times Richardson, he only threw 10 passes, a couple of them were a little high. That's kind of been his bugaboo. But this year's about his development and building everything you can for him when he is firmly entrenched as a starting quarterback. Gardner Minshew in his tutoring is invaluable. However, if Minshew has another game where he goes out and throws, I mean, 19 to 23, I realize he wasn't necessarily airing it out, he had a good quarterback rating. He was solid. He, he led them on drives. He was consistent. He put the ball where it needed to be. If you're able to show that one more time, 
And then you look at a team like the New York Jets, who still haven't gotten anything out of Zach Wilson. They know for the Jets, this was a big year. This was a step forward year. To an extent, the Jets are almost in a two year window here of like win now or it's like we built a roster that had everything necessary to be uber competitive but the quarterback. So we went and got Aaron Rodgers, and then he gets hurt. And the Jets have to be thinking to themselves, we are comfortable enough in our roster that simply competent quarterback play we feel like is going to give us a legitimate shot. If you're the Colts, do you utilize the showcase of Gardner Minshew and what he's been able to do if he puts together another game like yesterday and say, look, we're willing to flip him into a piece because if he wins you a game's a game or multiple games this year, it's fabulous, but it doesn't necessarily help you in the development of Anthony Richardson. But to your point, Jimmy, you made a good one. The counter to that is that maybe Gardner Minshew, instead of flipping him into a piece that that gives you another Zaire Franklin or gives you another Jelani Woods or gives you another, you know, I, I don't know who it would be, you know, a lineman or something like that, you made an interesting point in that there is value if Minshew is kept here, right? The receiving room outside of a number of different position groups, but the receiving room in terms of the development of Anthony Richardson is the biggest question mark on this team moving forward. I've said this a number of times. The current wide receiver one of the Anthony Richardson era is not currently on this roster. At least we don't think it is anyway. And the biggest mark for a lot of these receivers, particularly Michael Pittman Jr., even though he's proved what he is at this point, is... Look at who's been throwing the football the last couple of years. How can you really make a strong evaluation of how talented the wide receivers are when you have Sam Ellinger or you have just Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz throwing them the football? How do you make a clear evaluation of that? I'm not saying that Gardner Minshew is a world beater, but he's better than any of those three I just mentioned. And if Richardson has to miss significant time, I want answers with this wide receiver room going into next year of, how aggressive an overhaul has to be done. Is Alec Pierce a bust? Is Michael Pittman Jr. someone you want to re-sign? Is Josh Downs a flash in the pan? Those are all questions that I want answered, and I need competency at the quarterback position, regardless of the wins or losses that may follow it, to get those answers, which is what Minshew supplies you. It would have to be, Jake, like a... And I don't, there's not a lot of precedent with this. I was trying to look up midseason trades for quarterbacks, and there aren't a ton of them. Well, it's based on how desperate the team is that's trading for it, right? It, right. It had to be like a third or a fourth rounder for me to move Minshew because of the benefit that could be had of getting the answers to that wide receiver room in a critical offseason. And that's season. a fair point, for sure, especially with the downs and probably Alec Pierce, Alec Pierce to an extent. Uh, Steve joins us. Steve, what's up? Hey, it's always a pleasure with the cor- the company culture where an employee can call the president and talk with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly correct. Now, Steve, just out of curiosity, we've named Eddie CEO of Querying Company, and we've named Jimmy as president. You are correct. What would my title be? That's the only thing I'm unaware of. Chairman of the board. Ooh, that's I like nice. That. I played on an intramural basketball team at North Central called Chairman of the Board. It's too much power. That's strong. His name's on the building. On the program, anyway. It's on the building yeah. in Shelbyville. All right, Steve, what's up about Gardner Minshew? Hey, no, you you know, this is like Jeopardy. First, first of all, let me take a step back at it. was really a great race in 2002, despite uh, Tyler Perry's singing of the uh, national anthem, Alio's second win. It was really a great race. Well, it was so. Steven Tyler, but Tyler Perry would have probably done just as well. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, um, no, you answered my question about Gordon Minshew. It's really reassuring that the Colts have a backup quarterback that, you know, can fill in, unlike some of the past backup quarterbacks that we've had to talk about that we won't mention on the air. <laughs> Fair enough. I Listen, I agree. It is. It, it almost feels like unprecedented, right? And I guess that's because, you know, it's by design. They brought him here. He's familiar with Shane Steichen, and he's he's gotten multiple reps in the league. Um if there are areas where I was going to nitpick yesterday, I, I thought defensively they were great. Great's maybe a little overselling it, but I thought they were really good defensively. Um, that line for the Texans was a sieve, let's be fair, but they were aggressive, and, and I thought EJ Speed was outstanding. Um, you know, Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay started to, again, starts to show some stuff where you're like, okay, you know, it's it, maybe it's a, he's, a, he's a late arriver, but he's starting to to grow into it a little bit, which is good. I just thought they were overall you know, just kind of nasty and aggressive in terms of the pressure that they were able to provide. DeForest Buckner, you know, is going to do DeForest Buckner things. But if I'm going to nitpick something, Jimmy, and feel free to tell me that I'm being overly critical or that I'm nitpicking too much, but it was about halfway through the game where I thought, and maybe I'm negative Nancy here, but I'm curious if anybody else thought the same thing. So, Jimmy, I will run it past you. It was about midway through probably the second quarter when I actually pulled up the box score and then looked at the inactives list because I couldn't remember if Shaquille Leonard was playing. Am I being too critical? I think a little bit. I mean, that's something that's a good find, a good diamond in the rough observation because it's easy to lose that and the fact that defense dominated as well as they did against a Texans team that we mentioned is kind of inept. Though I will say, quietly, if the Texans ever figure out how to build a football team, C.J. Stroud did not look bad yesterday. Like, would, all things considered, with, with how much he was running for his life, like, it, I, there's competency at that position in Houston and maybe the top billing that we've given to the quarterbacks taken in the 2023 draft is going to live up to the hype. I, I don't know. I mean, it's... My, here's the thing. Maybe, I think a little bit. A little bit, but but it's a, a, a caution But we are. But I, to be fair to Shaquille Leonard, I am holding him to the standard that we've seen from him. Right? Yeah. And maybe, schematically speaking, things were designed to funnel towards Shaquille Leonard where his name was ubiquitous on nearly every defensive play. And maybe now that has shifted to Zaire Franklin, who is continues to be, uh, you know, fabulous. And then, like I said, EJ Speed made some plays. So maybe Shaquille Leonard is actually now facilitating for those players, as opposed to the vice versa. But it just feels like, in comparison to where he has been in the past, that Shaquille Leonard was not near as impactful as what we have become accustomed to. I think that that's something for me that's going to take, and maybe this is too generous, I don't know, it's going to take mid-season for me before I'm willing to go that far and say that that's his new identity and new role on this team, but there are enough markers there that maybe you, like I said, take it under advisement and say that maybe that's the direction they're going, but it's also been quite some time since he's been able to play consecutive football games at a high level that I, I want to see it strung together a couple of instances weeks one through let's say week six before i'm willing to say yeah this is his new role now i have seen people that were 
that are getting antsy about Juju Brents not being on the field, not being activated. I, I, I get it, but at the same time, you, you've got to remind yourself, I mean, sometimes guys are not necessarily taken for the immediate, like, hey, he's going to – although he is one guy and that is a position that seemingly there was going to be opportunity right now, but he hasn't necessarily jumped up and, and gotten after it. You know what I mean? Obviously, because he hasn't had, hasn't had the chance. But Those concerns have been put to bed slightly for me for the time being. A, because they won yesterday. But B, they, they've looked okay even without him Correct. there. And the idea of him being there at some point is a nice positive on the horizon. Uh, what is your shirt? Uh, it's The Mandalorian. It's a Star Wars television show. A Star Wars television well, show? Well, it's a streaming show. I should clarify that. It's not on ABC. Disney+. And Plus. this came about when? Uh, first season was what 2019. Is the Mandalorian run on 1.21 gigawatts? What, what's, <laughs> what is? What, what what is? He's a human being. He's just he's oh, a man, he's of Mandalore. Did the, did the, they don't reveal. He's, he's of Mandalore. They do not reveal their faces. They keep their helmets on at all times. Is it on the Millennial Falcon? No, he does not ride around the Millennium Falcon. What, what no. which is he in one of the Star Wars movies? No, he's a spinoff series. Oh, there's a spinoff from Star Wars. Yes. Yep. Okay. Part of the Star Wars universe, Jake. The, are they, the Ewoks, are they good guys or bad guys? Ewoks are good guys. Uh, Jawas. Uh, is it Jawa? Is that right? Yes. Are they good guys or bad guys? Uh, kind of just pranksters, critters, kind of nefarious. Depends. Okay. Uh, that Boba Fett, good guy or bad guy? Uh, well, originally bad guy, but he also got a spinoff series, and now it appears oh, more, really? um, uh, uh, what's the word, um, anti-hero type deal. Uh, vigilante. Bo- Boba Fett was just like a hired gun, right? Yes. Bounty hunter. Bounty hunter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that what Boba Fett is that translated to bounty hunter? No. I, I don't know. I have no idea. It's a great question. But so so in other words, what you're saying is somewhere <laughs> in the Mandalorian world there's a TV show called Dog the Boba Fett, right? Uh, yes. Okay. We'll continue this kind of it's scintillating the book of conversation. Boba Fett, actually, next. I think. <laughs> if those of you are curious what happens here during the break, essentially it was Jimmy getting me up to speed on the Star Wars spinoff. Is it a cartoon? Animated, no, live it... action. Live Li- action. Live action. Live action. Okay. Yeah. Then why is the T-shirt a cartoon? They can't. They couldn't have gotten a. It's so it's supposed to kind of look like a, a comic book. I think is the, is the play off. Is of the there. Yoda fella in it? He is, but he's not. Is it related. younger Yoda? No, no. Younger Yoda is like four hundred and eighty years old. Because isn't older Yoda like eight hundred? Yes. Uh, this is after. Spoiler alert! In case you've been asleep for the last fifty years. Uh, Yo, he is. This is after Yoda's passing. Okay. Uh, we still don't know a lot about the child, aka Grogu, uh, is his later learned name. But this all happens after the events of Return of the Jedi. Readily it's just so ridiculous. Yoda at 800 years old is about what I feel like often. <laughs> I believe right? that. Trust me. I run, running yesterday and today, uh, 800 feel like I. You want to believe Yoda's gout? They didn't. They cover that a ton <laughs> actually in Star Wars <laughs> lore. Right. It's pretty crazy. That's right. Yoda needs to go to the Good Feet store. I feel like I'm about to go in the log flume at King's Island. <laughs> right? <laughs> go past the old-fashioned pizza place there and get on the old log flume. Did you ever do the log flume at King's Island? No. Eddie? I don't even know what you're talking about. Have you been to King's Island? Yes, I've been to King's Island. I have, yes. The log flume. They still have it, I'm, I'm sure, right? The the Where you get in the like little log thing and you, you go oh, through the... One. I have the done woods that one. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go down the hill in yeah. the water. In yeah. the water. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, Kings Island when it was came about had the the original Kings Island was based upon like an, a, a legendary story of an old mill town that was then became like a ghost town because of a beast that came in and like 
haunted it but it was like a german mill town and so that's why they have like the german music theme in different areas of king's island including over by the log flume but then again i also haven't been there in like 25 years so i I might be speaking a little outdated uh around the league yesterday obviously the colts and texans big topic of conversation but you know there were other games that took place and other things i mentioned last night i thought miami in particular you know i'll be curious to see exactly and with miami it probably they go as far as Tua can take them and if he stays healthy and there probably is when you look at anthony richardson and the fact now that like he's in concussion protocol it was todd meyer just pointed out and it's a good point it was an a concussion similar to those that you've seen Tua take where like the, the the hit in falling backwards the back of the head injury but Miami is is interesting to me, Jimmy, because they show in the NFL, you know, what's the old saying? Speed kills, right? And, yeah. you know, that's been true in college, but I'll tell you what, and I mean, I guess Kansas City has some weapons, including one of them that's now in Miami that we've seen them win with in the past, but I thought Miami was, was you know, last night and watching them, um, and I don't know, maybe it was more about Miami than, or more about New England than it was Miami, but I just thought they looked like a team that they can get out to leads and then, you know, just sustain it because of their overall speed offensively in particular. They got some weapons. There's so much movement pre snap, there's so much quickness within space, and they're such great route runners that. When they get going, like you mentioned, downhill, it's tough to stop them. And people forget, at least we forgot going into the season, just how good they were in games to a plate a year ago. We were having conversations all offseason of, you know, if Miami gets a piece here or there, maybe they could win the AFC East. Maybe they could make a run in the Super Bowl. What Mike McDaniel is able to do there. I mean, they have a young, inspiring coach that just concepts that he designs are next to top of the league in terms of what you're going to see out of a high-powered offense. So, yeah, they will live and die by Tua's availability. But if he's healthy, I mean, it's hard not to look at last night and say they can hang with just about anybody. And if you don't want to look at last night, look at last week in a shootout against the Chargers on the road. The other thing I will say, and this is always dangerous in the world of sports talk and Bill Belichick's time as a head coach, I think at least now with how they're built – Gone are the days of looking at a matchup and saying, well, Bill Belichick's on the other side. They're going to take things away. They're going to neutralize the opposing offense, and they're going to win the game because of it. Did they still have chances to win that game because of Bill Belichick? Absolutely. But the only reason I was hesitant to say confidently Dolphins are going to win that game is because Bill Belichick was on the other sideline. And I feel like that, not all his fault, He's doing the best he can building around Mac Jones and building around that team. And they do have some good pieces, but they're limited with what they can do and how threatening they really are in today's NFL. By the way, speaking of neutralizing, Baltimore did that. We, we know how good Cincinnati's offense can be with Joe Burrow. And, you know, Burrow, again, I mean, obviously that injury, I'm sure, plays into Burrow's play. But, you know, they basically neutralized Baltimore, did Jamar Chase. Ravens now 2 and 0, Baltimore or Cincinnati now 0 and 2, but uh Baltimore up next for the Colts and Jimmy to your point, you know, do do you throw Richardson out there if if would you be surprised if Richardson plays? I would partially based on who they're playing, right? 
it's hard for me to give an honest answer to that until we hear Shane Steichen's comments. And I say that partially in jest because is he really going to reveal anything to us about whether or not Richardson's going to play on Sunday in his availability today? No, probably not. But if he clears protocol, which I think it's important to note that he self-reported, he was willing to put the team above himself for his desire to be out there, and maybe he's able to get out of protocol. If he gets out of protocol cleanly and goes through the necessary steps with the independent neurologist that the NFL employs, then it's hard for me to not say I want to see him out there because Baltimore is a good defense, maybe even a great defense this year. And look no further than what they were able to do, as you already highlighted, with Jamar Chase and with the Bengals last week. I get it, that's two weeks the Bengals' offense has struggled, but the Ravens have always been built on good defensive teams, and it's going to be an interesting test. And while, yes, my argument earlier about keeping Minshew and letting the wide receivers grow around a competent quarterback versus shipping him off for draft capital, while that point remains, this season is all about reps for Richardson. And there's still tough opponents on the schedule, but... Man, I'd love to see him go up against Baltimore and maybe not see what he's made of, but get another measuring stick for where his development is at right now. You don't put his health, though, above that need. If he doesn't clear protocol or if he's not ready, then, yeah, you go with Minshew and you see what happens. Brian McCarthy, who works PR for the NFL, uh, issued the following statement yesterday. This was retweeted by Stephen Holder in regards to spotters. like Because a lot of people were like, wait a minute. If Anthony Richardson self-reported concussion-like symptoms, then why was that not noticed by anybody? And the NFLPR had the following statement, quote, the role of spotters is to look for injurious behavior. I had never before heard the word injurious. Strong word. Uh, Quote, the role of spotters is to look for injurious behavior. If the spotters observe a player demonstrate such behavior as struggling to get up displaying instability, disorientation, or distress, they will call down to on-field medical staff to ensure he is evaluated. The spotters are not looking for hard hits, but rather behavior following a play that necessitate evaluation. And admittedly, Richardson didn't show those things, right? Hot back up, was you know hype with his teammates, didn't appear at least when they panned over on the sideline that he was in distress, and there wouldn't be clear indicators to say, oh, we need to get a doctor out there right now to take a look at him and figure out how he's doing. Uh, by the way, did somebody just bring in popcorn? <laughs> the CEO. So we're in the middle of a show, and Eddie just gets up and goes and pops microwave popcorn and comes back in? What are we doing here? Maybe it's lunch. You Got know what? Hungry. Let, me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something interesting. The CEO is pushing limits. Eddie Garrison, CEO of Query and Company. Okay. <laughs> Eddie, a nice, respectable young lad, Decatur Central High School, girlfriend, never been happier. The pride for a phone of Washington call. Township. <laughs> so Eddie, just kind of a kind of a beaver cleaver type, right? Sure. Goes away to Colorado for the first time. Comes back. And he's playing hippie music and making microwave popcorn in the middle of a work shift. Got the munchies, playing the animals. Well, what are we doing here? I will say. Though I, I think he got Colorado corrupted. He comes back, he's wearing a Colorado shirt, right? I mean. <laughs> you think the West has stolen Eddie Garrison? Yes. You think a, a CEO letter of resignation I mean, what is ne- coming what, what next? Are we going to go back to some John Denver, Rocky Mountain High? What are we doing here? I don't tempt me now. Don't <laughs> tempt mean, me to pull it out. I will say Popcorn Eddie was a thing before Colorado. I will defend him yes. in that regard. 
Uh, let's go to the phone line. Susan joins us. Talk about Anthony Richardson. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm fine. How are uh, you guys? We're good. Susan, have you been hired in the company just out of curiosity? I have not. Okay, no. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Susan, but but you know this the radio show is Querying Company, and so we decided that the company are the listeners, right? And so we did a hiring practice about two weeks ago, and people would call in and say what line of work they're in and what they could contribute to the company itself. Um, so would you like to – can we hire you? Because here's the thing. Uh, I, I like to have – I love the fact that you are the second female listener known in the history of this program. So can we hire you in some position? Of course. I listen all the time. Okay. And Susan, what line of work are you in or what's your area of expertise? Um, real estate. Okay. So you're vice president of real estate. Does that work okay? Commercial or residential oh, real estate? Residential. You know, I have a theory here, Susan, and then we'll get to Anthony Richardson. Uh, I got a theory that like in about three or four years, you're going to be, uh, as the kids say, Susan, you'll be hella busy because this Airbnb thing is going to collapse and then all these venture capitalist groups that are buying Airbnbs are going to be stuck with them and unloading them for nickels on the dollar. Am I out of my mind? Probably not. You never can tell about real estate, right? In the market? That's right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right, Susan, your thoughts on Anthony Richardson. And, and by the way, welcome to the company. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, yes. So, one, I love Anthony. I'm really proud of him. I just think he's exceeded our expectations. But when he ran for that second touchdown, it seems to me, you know, I've watched the replay numerous times, but it seems like most people are just showing or talking about when his head bounces off the ground at the end. But if you look at the slow motion version in the beginning, it looks to me like there was a helmet to his helmet hit as um, the DB or whoever it was that hit him. Um, looks like it was a helmet to helmet. And I'm wondering if that kind of, well, one surprised him, but then maybe dazed him. And that's why he wasn't in as good a control falling backwards. But nobody's talking about that helmet to helmet hit everybody's talking about his head bouncing off the ground at the at the end of it that does make sense now he did say this and i'm gonna i'm gonna go uh again back to just what was reported after the game yesterday and that was that um he said he didn't see the defender swooping in as he was crossing the cola actually michael Pittman said that that he had told Pittman like man i didn't see the defender coming in and that's why i slowed up a little bit i haven't seen where the contact was it it's a very interesting point. I'll have to look at it. Um, I didn't see. Did, did you, have you looked at it, Jimmy, to see where he was hit exactly? Was it a helmet to helmet? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's contact with the shoulder pads, but also the helmet does make contact with helmet. So I I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. But yeah, I mean it's it's a momentum play. Um, I would say because of artificial turf, you know, having less give, and that's been a conversation last week that the majority of it comes from his head banging on the turf the way that it did. But no, I think that's an interesting takeaway from it. There's definitely some contact from I mean, I think any time you're going to get to her point, I think any time in live speed in the NFL when you get hit, you are dazed. I, honestly. You know, Bill Polian said it best. It's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And, and I think that, that just the way, you know, the Monday Night Miracle game when the Colts won in Tampa and had the huge comeback. And that was the game where Keyshawn Johnson that was mic'd up. And there was a play where Marvin Harrison catches it and he goes down or he goes out of bounds and, and Keyshawn Johnson is like mocking him. And he's like, is that how he gets his numbers? Is that how he gets his catches? You know, 
I always dominate when I go up against play. Well, guess what? Like Keyshawn Johnson, I'm not sure if he went out injured in that game, but Marvin Harrison was still making huge plays in a comeback in the fourth quarter and played in his NFL career like multiple years beyond when Keyshawn Johnson did. And I think if you were to ask Keyshawn Johnson now, he probably would say, you know what? I wish there would have been more plays where I avoided the contact. Because I, I do think that even when it's not a legit penalty level, like helmet to helmet, I just think the initial blast that you get startles you. And so for Michael Pittman to say, hey, Richardson said, I didn't see the defender coming, then yes, that would in, that would support the theory there that he was startled right by, by it and therefore didn't maybe have the reactionary time of how to stop himself when he fell backward. But the bigger question is that, and you know, Ryan Kelly, we haven't talked a lot about, but Ryan Kelly going out as well into the protocol. I mean, that's a big one, Jimmy. That's the, and they got good play, right? They got good play when Ryan Kelly went out, they, they did the, the offensive line maintained consistency, but that's a big injury too, to wonder. And, and, you know the 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 center position is the, is coming back from the protocol even more rigorous because of the fact that that is a position that is a guaranteed contact on every play position. But if you had to wager it, you got to write down right now, Jimmy, or imagine you ever hear me talk talk about the hypothetical genie where you get to write something in an envelope, and then if you're correct, you know the the genie. Can we? Do we should we name our genie? I think so. What's our Eddie? You want to name the genie as the CEO? I mean, oh, I'm still the CEO. I'm not fired. <laughs> well, uh, I, I mean, it, it well, would you were demoted to co-CEO while you were gone. To me as, that, it would appear to me fine. as though you've been doing things to enhance creativity. So, um, <laughs> would you like to name the genie? I would. Actually, the perfect name for a genie would be Eddie or Jimmy. Jimmy the genie is perfect, but I can't name it Jimmy because we got Jimmy yeah, right no. here, and I can't name it Eddie because you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a clever name <laughs> for the genie yes well so the genie's in the bottle and the genie cut pops out and says here's the deal i'm going to ask you one question you got to write down the answer you're going to put it in an envelope and then once we know definitively what that answer is if you wrote down the correct answer you get a million dollars right that's that's always my scenario so our genie question today is this and that is, we, we should come up with, do we have like like funky genie type sounding music that we could do? Magic carpet ride. Doesn't that sound like something that, that a genie would be in? Doesn't a genie fly on a carpet? Yeah. So we should play magic the carpet Aladdin ride. soundtrack, Eddie. <laughs> we should play, <laughs> so ma- play magic, magic carpet, carpet ride every time I'm introducing one of my genie scenarios. <laughs> but it, the genie question for you, Jimmy, is this, and that is, is Anthony Richardson going to play against the Baltimore Ravens? You have to write down yes or no. What do you write down? Yes. I'll say no, because that's where it is right now. Sure. Right? I thought I was supposed to be seeing the future. No, I know, but I'm saying. But but for the odds of the million dollars, the the, the right now the, the the trend would be no, right? Yes. Yes. He's in the concussion protocol. We have no update on that. And it's built not impossibly to get out of, but it's built to a point that's going to protect the players from themselves. So it's not exactly an easy thing to get advanced along to make a game in a week's time how about jenny the genie can the genie be female yeah i guess i dream yeah. of genie she was female right yeah had some name suggestions in the youtube chat gary gina uh eugene eugenia <laughs> eugene's not bad eugene's not bad but it should be here's the thing though 
did we find this genie in 1875? If a genie, ha- genies are, are are intelligent, right? Like, aren't genies like geniuses to an extent because they can they they have powers, right? Sure. I think we all know that the superpower in this world, driven by women, right? Sure. Uh, I mean, you know, women are like actually the ones like you know making critical family decisions and raising children, and and, and guys are sitting around crunching numbers for their fantasy team, right? Or so, thinking about what to name a genie, right? Or, or thinking about what yeah. exactly, right? Yeah. So it, it probably should be a female name, except for that. Or trying to figure out when Twiggy will return. Ex- except for that, uh, Twig. Somebody sent me a video of Twiggy the water skiing squirrel over the weekend. The genie should be, what's the word? Androgynous is that the word? So that so that we're appeasing all people. So that so that you know, and Todd Meyer will hate it because he'll say, "See, there you go. You're just you're you're appeasing everybody." No, no, no. I'm just saying there are times where it's applicable for a genie to be a man. Times it's applicable for a genie to be a woman. So how about if our genie is Pat? Pat the genie. All right, right. <laughs> you don't know. Is it a guy or a girl? We don't know. We don't know. It's a genie. We don't know. We have no idea. But we're just going to call it Pat. Pat the Genie. So Pat the Genie. There we go. I just named it. It's Pat the Genie. Well done. So As Pat, chairman of the board, good work. Thank you. So Pat the Genie has asked you the question, and you, Jimmy Cook, say that you don't think Anthony Richardson will play. No, I think or he will. Or you think, I he, think will he will play. I, I don't think he will. Eddie? I don't think he will either. And just to preventative caution, I mean, just thinking about it, Jelani Woods, I think he cleared protocol, but the Colts have so many tight ends that he said, hey, we'll rest you in an additional week. And I, I would have to look further into it, but I think the percentage of players that are concussed on Sunday they play the following week is less than 20%. Well, here's the other thing. And this shouldn't be a factor. It shouldn't be a factor, but I'll bet it is. You guys ever gotten a new car? Brand new car? Yep. Yes. You got a brand new car, right? When you the first six months of the, getting that new car, how often are you taking it to the car wash? All the time. Of course, of course, right? Yes. You're vacuuming that bad boy out. Shout out to Limited Club. You got the car wash. that's right. You got the little bag, the little plastic bag. You got that thing hanging on yep. the. I mean, the whole deal, yep. right? Yeah. It smells like a new car. The new car scent. You are like overly every single thing about. It. And then somebody says like, "Hey, what happened to the? What happened to your handle?" Like, what are you talking about? Like, there's a little scratch there. You're like, what? <laughs> yes. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hold on. My perfect car now has, like, a small scratch on it. Holy Jimmy, cow. have you got there yet? Sorry? Have you gotten there yet with the... Yes, I have. Yes. Oh. Yes, I have. And then once that happens, after a while, after five years later, somebody's like, hey, you got another scratch over here. You're like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm getting a new car pretty soon anyway. With a quarterback, same thing. You've got a young franchise quarterback that's under the age of that's 21 years old that you are building around. Right now, you are super over. And I'm not saying. Listen, I want to be very clear here. I am not minimizing the importance of the concussion protocol at all in any way, shape, or form. I applaud the Colts and Anthony Richardson for the way of having the maturity to say, "Look, something's up here." But what I'm saying is, in terms of his return. And coming back from injury, whether it's concussion, whether it's a, a, an ankle, whether it's you know a wrist, whatever, the Colts are going to be more careful, and they're going to proceed with much more caution with Anthony Richardson right now than they're going to for most quarterbacks like in Week Six. Now, can, probably a bad example to use because concussion is obviously 
amongst anything in terms of long-term health, the most critical position to make sure that you are taking care of your product. But I'm just saying, like, you get what my point here, though, right? Like, they are going to, they're going to err on the side of caution more so now than at any point in the career of Anthony Richardson. Yes. Almost undoubtedly. He's new. There's no reason to risk further injury or making this something that leads to, you know, habitual fear of concussions. I will say, getting out of protocol is one thing, but to your point, Jake, I would imagine Shane Steichen also has certain tests or certain benchmarks for Richardson to clear. For instance, maybe his memorization or his ability to identify things in the quarterback room, where even if he clears protocol, those secondary tests or bars, you want to make sure you're not putting him out there, especially with maybe no Ryan Kelly, where he puts himself in danger. Which goes back to your larger point of the car and protecting it. By the way, I can tell that Eddie Garrison is not only truly enjoying uh, his microwave popcorn, <laughs> but maybe was in, in fact having a Colorado hangover. You know how I know that, Jimmy? How's that? Because we're way over and he hasn't sure. even told me. Now, people are now sending me genie name suggestions, and I'm mad because most of them are pretty good. So maybe Pat is not set in stone. Somebody else said Robin, which is really good because Robin Williams played a genie, and Robin is also. Played the genie, yeah. Can be either one, right? Yeah. I'm down with that. Robin Williams' signature role, what is it? Uh, I'm going to show like my youngness here. I don't know, Good Will Hunting? See, I, I would tend to agree with that, except for the, what was the name of the character? <laughs> Will. Huh? <laughs> well, it wasn't, yeah. No, 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 his character, Robin oh, Williams. Um, Will Hunting is Matt Damon. Right, correct. But I thought that was your point. Like, no, no, he's no. not the star character. So, I, don't remember his, I don't remember his name. The doctor's name, I don't know. I should know that because there's the scene where he he says, you know, don't mess with me, and he says his name, but my you get my point. Yeah. Um did you ever see Patch Adams? Mm-mm. He was great in that. Sean. Sean, that's right. Um, yes, yes. Well done. I, I think and I'm gonna show my age. It's hard to say because, I mean, he, he was obviously much more critically acclaimed for other roles, but I still think it might be Mork for Mork. Yeah, I was going to throw that. I mean, that's probably... I mean, just because that... And that allowed him to be Robin Williams. It was the la- it was launching right? pad, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, 239 is the telephone number. Let's go to Doug. He's been waiting patiently. Doug, what's up? Um, yeah, I was wondering if you guys are still hiring. We uh, we are Doug. Thank you for asking. Um, what if you don't mind me asking, Doug? What's your area of expertise for the company? Um, I right now I'm a biochemist for a water pollution control facility. Holy cow! Now, Doug, here's the thing. Uh, that's a little intellectually intimidating. Well, I just hoping for a water boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug. Doug, you are the official water boy of the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Most, my resume. Most overqualified water that's, boy, I think, that's in the history right. of water boys. And, and actually, if the Colts lose to Baltimore, you can say, oh, no, we suck again from the water boy. Let's get raid, more HUO. <laughs> that's right. All right, Doug, what do you think about Gardner Minshew? Um. You were talking about trading him possibly for a fifth-round pick. I, I mean, I'm um, totally th- spitballing there. I'm not saying that's definitively on the table, but you got my point. Um, yeah, um, I think he's a little worth a little more than a fifth-round pick. I don't care if he wins games for the Colts or not, but I think that his mentorship for um, Anthony Richardson is pretty important. 
Um, I, I mean, how much would Anthony Richardson just learn from watching Gardner Minshew last game? No, I think that's very fair. I, I mean, no doubt. I think it's very fair. And again, I, I think it's – my point simply is this, Doug, and I appreciate it. Um, my point simply would be that Minshew's contribution to Richardson – would certainly be like the, the you know off field behind the scenes level stuff, but in terms of what Minshew brings you on the field itself, that doesn't necessarily benefit Anthony Richardson long term. It does indirectly to my earlier point because you need to figure out who you want to build around at wide receiver, who's going to be there for Anthony Richardson, and that's, and that's all fair. I've been hearing the last two years is that there has not been a fair opportunity for some of the wide receivers on this roster to prove their worth. And I'm willing to hear them out and say, okay, well, let's have competency at the quarterback position. Gardner Minshew at least stabilized it to a point you could make a fair evaluation. Matthew, greetings and salutations, Matthew. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. How are things in Maine? What? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, it is surrounded by water, right? Um <laughs> Thoughts on the Colts yesterday? I don't know how much of the game you got to see, but notably thoughts on Anthony Richardson as well. Concerned because it's his second game in a row he couldn't finish. So let me ask you this, Matthew. As a Colts fan, does in any way, shape, or form it awaken in you concern regarding Andrew Luck? Like, in other words, do you look back at Andrew Luck's you know the the obviously acceleration of the end of the career of Andrew Luck, and does it is it too early for that, or is does it as a Colts fan does it give you that PTSD? I think it's too early for that. When Richardson throws an interception and then tries to tackle the guy that caught it, I'll be concerned. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll tell you what though, um, Richardson's. A, you saw this. You saw the graphic yesterday, Matthew, that they showed. Anthony Richardson's bigger than most linebackers, right? The average size linebacker. They, they were showing the height and weight of a linebacker, and Richardson, I mean, he's that size guy, right? I mean, but to your point, it's a fair one. I, Trevor Lawrence, what did he say to him afterwards? Look, man, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself, and, you know, I – I mean, there's, I a, lot early, of, there's but... a lot of learning that's going to happen at the position that we've talked about, learning progressions and learning what it means to be an NFL quarterback. But like, I think there's some credit that should alleviate stress and fear from Colts fans. The fact that he was acknowledging, or at least Michael Pittman said he acknowledged, man, I just didn't see that guy. Like, it, uh, we had Rick DeMolling on earlier. He said it. As a player, sometimes you forget if you miss a read, like, oh, I'm going to ease up a little bit. Well, you can't. You cannot ease up in the sport if you do. That's how you right. miss a defender. That's how you put yourself in a situation where an injury might occur. Butch. What's going on, Butch? Hi, Jake. Hold on. Let's see. I'll get off that speaker. Uh, item one, I've always enjoyed your work. You know, when you were at, uh, with Derek, uh, and I'm glad you got this uh, afternoon gig. Uh, I appreciate it. I think it's a better time slot for you. Uh I guess you're still hiring. I heard you say that. I am, Butch. What what area of expertise would you like to uh, to throw your hat in the ring, Butch? Well, I mean, you know, I'm kind of halfway retired now, but I was uh, I was in the uh, chemical engineering business for years. I uh, I've got a U.S. patent, and I traveled all over the world. Wait, you've got a patent. What did you invent? Well, it's a, uh, a carbon absorption system. 
with a unique uh, regeneration process using an azeotropic technology. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, so, I've got, Butch, there's two things that, that I might nominate you here for the company in terms of your hiring, that we have two openings here. The first would be, since you're halfway retired, I could make you vice president of leisure. And then the other one, uh, since you just, I have no idea about any of the science you just mentioned, but you use big words. I had so, him until regenerative, uh, and then I got lost. That's right. Uh, vice president of lexicon. Which which one would you rather have? Neither. <laughs> What I've got in mind, I was in college, I was a uh, doorman and bouncer and uh, at Nick's, and, and then in my fraternity, I was elected Kustos, so I'd like to be a Kustos. All right, fair enough. Now, what fraternity was that? Sigma Chi. Okay, yeah, Sigma Chi, uh-huh. as we called them back in the day, but they had the best location on campus at IU, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, and a, a, a Kustos... As a sergeant of arms. Okay, so you're so you're the you're the custos of the company. You're the company custos. How's that? I'm I'm thrilled. I'm going to put it on my resume and <laughs> throw it out there. But here's my last question for you. I've always wondered yeah. this, and part of my naivety in asking it. Certain names, like Jack, for example, usually is somebody whose official name is John, and then Jack is like the nickname. You know, and there are other ones that that. So, what is, Butch typically somebody who's named Butch? What is like the the birth certificate name of Butch? Larry. Is it really? Um, yeah, my dad's name was Larry, and my mom and dad, an entire family, called me Butch from, you know, age one up, and uh, all of my friends and family still call me butch yeah professionally i used larry but i i i embrace butch because that's what my mom called me all right well then you are i'll tell you what butch you're hired you are absolutely hired to the pro to the company i appreciate it all right good luck jake all right thanks how about that man like we i'm a little intimidated by the intellectual capabilities of the people listening to this show hey as long as they keep asking for positions that aren't ours and come after some of ours i'm okay yeah I'm we you. have yet to have somebody call in to say i'd like to be hired for the company oh as what host <laughs> okay well that, that's a little disturbing right by the way uh, i stand by my goodwill hunting answer but i forgot about good morning vietnam i also very much enjoy very that good film. one there a very good one i mean he's dead poet society yes dead poet society's way up there can you but imagine he, how I've been like, Jake, you know, I'm showing my age here. Night at the Museum, I think, is by far Robin Williams' best work. good movie, though. It is a good movie. Mrs. But, Doubtfire. Oh, Mrs. Yeah, Doubtfire is yeah. really good. Yeah. See, here's the thing. For it to be your signature role, though, everyone has to immediately know the name of the character, which in Mrs. Doubtfire's case, they would, right? Yeah. Definitely Genie and Aladdin as well. Mrs. Doubtfire was a good one for him because... It allowed him to show everything that is Robin Williams, right? Yes. Because he showed, like, I mean, he had to do serious role stuff in it, but he also obviously shows the, 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 I mean, it was a dramedy, right? You've heard the story about, yeah. David Letterman tells the story, which I always thought was super cool and why I loved Robin Williams. So David Letterman was doing the comedy store in the late 70s with other comics which was the no, the comedy stores the huge famous stand up area in LA right correct yeah so robin williams who was from chicago played a character and and in his stand up bit he acted like he was from i think ireland so david letterman's like you know here comes this guy and they kind of had their niche right all the comics they kind of helped each other out they helped each other write jokes whatever else and robin williams was like late to the party he he was added like later in a season 
So he comes in, and Letterman's like, and here we all are, you know, kind of proud of ourselves, and we're trying to make some names for ourselves and make some headway. And this guy comes in like a hurricane, right? And he just takes everything by storm. He has this unbelievable energy, and he's on point, and he's hilarious, and he's got this, and he's doing this character, and people are just like, what in the world is happening? So Letterman said, he's like, so we basically ostracized him and like just never let him into the inner circle because they were so intimidated by him and because he was so good and so just like different than the rest of them that, you know, privately they're all like this guy, holy cow, like he's packing it out. He's killing it. But, but so they, nobody embraced him. And then he, because he was just this massive star with this massive star power, immediately he gets hired to do Mork and Mindy. So he leaves the comedy store and goes away to do Mork and Mindy. And, you know, and they're all like, well, thank goodness we got rid of that guy. And then all of a sudden, like three, three months later or whatever it was, Letterman's agent calls him and goes, hey, do you want to do a cameo on Mork and Mindy? And he's like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, Mork and Mindy, they, they want to use you in a cameo role. Letterman's like, how in the world? So he goes and does it. And like two weeks later, somebody else at the comedy store gets a phone call. Like, do you want to come on Mork and Mindy? And they do it. And Letterman later found out that Robin Williams, when after he after all of these people had basically shunned him, and he was the one that, that got his first big break, he, he went to the producers at Mork and Mindy and said, look, I got out of there, you know, I I graduated from there, but I want to try to help all those different comics. Robin Williams was totally unaware of the way that they had tried to sh- to to ice him out and instead wanted to bring all of them to be able to enjoy his success and build off of it themselves. And I always thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I thought the guy was an absolutely – when he was on Letterman's show, it was must-see TV. I thought he was one of the most brilliant, brilliant talents of uh, of our lifetime, not only in comedy but just in in acting in general. Um, I assume we're over, Eddie. Is that right? Yes. We're about right where we need to break, yeah. (laughs) How's the popcorn? It's it's good. I'm having a good time throwing it back back here. It's been a good show. That's why I got the popcorn. <laughs> okay, well, I he's got his popcorn it. ready. Got it from the break room. We'll come back and put a bow tie on it, and we'll get it to John as well. Didn't even hear it through the grapevine, but rather from Shane Steichen himself to an extent. Update on Anthony Richardson. So that means Eddie, for the first time, we get to play the sounder, meaning we have breaking news. Go ahead, Eddie. Shane Steichen was asked if Anthony Richardson would clear the protocol, and if he were, would he play on Sunday? He gave no comment on that, if they would hold him out or if they would play him. So there's that. I am stunned. Cannot believe Shane Steichen was not more revealing in that answer. That's right. But uh, this will be something we will keep an eye on, obviously, throughout the course of the week and and see where things head. Um, as we talked about with um, the still-yet-to-be-officially-named Genie, that was, um, I'm not going to say we were wagering on it. That's a little inappropriate when it comes to a concussion, but trying to prognosticate. But there are other things when it comes to the world of sports in terms of figuring out which way you should go that are probably uh, best for Jimmy to elaborate on. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Thank you, Jake. Today's Plays of the Day, all focused on Monday Night Football. By the way, due to the writer's strike, 
ABC is going to simulcast far more Monday Night Football games than previously anticipated. It's going to take up most of their fall schedule, in fact. So if you were a non-ESPN Plus owner or if you just use the bunny ears, it's big for you. You get to enjoy some Monday Night Football, it appears, via ABC. Tonight, doubleheader, Brown Steelers. Saints Panthers. We're going to take Chris Olave of the New Orleans Saints as an anytime touchdown score. All it's going to take the no. Saints to one of the money line no. over the Carolina need Panthers. Him under 13. I thought you didn't have any bets. No, I just said I need him under 13 points. That's okay, all. Okay, so he scores a touchdown on like a two yard pass, and then that, you're good. We can both win. Um, also, New Orleans Saints, I mentioned, money line over the Panthers. Give me the Cleveland Browns over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Nick Chubb as an anytime touchdown score. This is where I would go to Eddie, but Eddie has told me he does not have any bets, in part because he was enjoying his popcorn too much. You know, I grew up a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I still have my Steelers trash can. I still have my Steelers lamp that's mostly just kid nostalgic as opposed to being a fan of the Steelers. But every picture of me, I'm wearing the Sears Steelers pajamas when I was a kid. I had the robe. I had the the kind of fake-looking Letterman jacket. I had the sideline coat for the Steelers. I had the hat. You name it. I had it for the Pittsburgh Steelers growing up. And collegiately, I, I watched a lot of Deshaun Watson. I'm a Clemson fan. He's now with the Cleveland Browns. I, I can't imagine, though, like, who in the world, like, is there a worse matchup right now than Cleveland and the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football? Yes, it's next Sunday. And it's so bad that I can't even remember who it is. It's like the Raiders and... Like, what are the two I, worst teams to put on there, like, right now? If the the, the Arizona and, and the Bears. <laughs> Oh, the or, Bears, or, or, yeah. Or Arizona and well, Houston. The, the Bears, I guess there's at least interest in like who in the hell starting a quarterback for them, right? Yes. And you got that going for you. I'm not going to um, be able to find this in time, am so I? So by this time it's tomorrow. It's Raiders-Steelers next Sunday. That, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not looking forward to that at all. Unless you got the immaculate reception, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. come on. Uh, John's up next. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you at noon tomorrow here on Quarry Company.